Madam, pray for those in this tragedy, these tragedies, and for the men and women that stand in the military for healing. And as Cheryl sang that song about the little boy where they wanted to pray for healing, this is a house of healing. So it's a house of healing for everything. So if you need healing in your body, your mind, your spirit, whatever it is today, just stand on your feet, let's pray. Because the healer, the I am, is in the house. I'm so thankful Pastor prayed, and I'm so thankful he prayed over uh, the, the state trooper. You know, I have friends that, that do that, and you know, they pull up on the highway, and the windows are up, and they don't know what they're gonna encounter. But you know what the interesting thing is? They don't stop, and they run into the houses. The firemen run into the houses, our military. And, and I truly believe the United States of America is the greatest country in America because we are one nation under God. One nation under God. And so if we're one nation under God, we're gonna ask the healer to blanket this nation, to blanket your home, to blanket your life for the manifestation of the 39 stripes that he took on his back for your life and we have in the authority of the name of Jesus Christ who I am and who I believe that the Bible says every knee shall bow every tongue confess that he is Lord now the Lord over your life sickness to bow disease to bow Oppression, depression to bow. Grief and mourning to bow. Fear to go. For your families to be raised up. For the great I am to leave this house of healing and go into your house with healing. Into the hospitals, into the nursing homes, wherever there is a need. Let our Heavenly Father send His Son's healing virtue. And we declare that you be made whole in the name of Jesus. We thank you for it. We thank you for it. We thank you for it. In my wife's body, in my body, for us to be healed. We thank you, Father. Now grab that drop of his shed blood, and now we ask for the remission of your sins. One drop of your blood is enough. For you to find a relationship or a brand new relationship with Jesus Christ right now in your life, in this house of healing, for the opportunity for you to become one with him. And just say, Lord, take me. Lord, forgive me. And Lord, save me. In the name of Jesus, be made whole in your spirit, in your soul. Amen and amen. You may be seated this morning. Amen and amen. My wife comes over. Um, we just love the worship here. We love your house. Um, we're thankful that we get to come back and, and be with you. And... Um, it's just we're getting to know more and more of you all by first name basis and and it's just a, it's a real pleasure yesterday let's see it was friday we we came and spoke to the leaders are you coming up i'm coming and cheryl's back was all stove up um matter of fact she'd gone to the doctor earlier in the morning friday and and she just she, she'd done something to her back she tweaked it somehow but uh, Friday night, when we were praying, praying for, for people, God uh, heal me. Uh, her back just released. And uh, 
I'm thankful that, uh, that uh, she'd taken some uh, anti-inflammatories and then went to the doctor, but then that night it just released, and, and so okay, she's wearing you, her Lord. high heels again and everything. I was wearing my heels Friday night out of just pure faith, but today I'm doing it because I'm enjoying it. Well, if I wore those <laughs> things, you know I'd be walking by faith. I don't know how y'all walk in those things, but... Um, Walking's easy. Worshiping's a whole nother level. <laughs> so, so we were in the house, and we've got our healing right here. So I'm just so thankful that she got restored because um, when she doesn't feel well, it's, it's like living with a grizzly bear. <laughs> You're going to start, right? <laughs> I'm trying to pay you back for Friday night. So and, you'll and, never and, be and, able and, to And do there's that. your little court and crime over here. So <laughs> huh? I know how you feel, please. How long have you been it's married? My agreement partner. 20 years, that ain't nothing. 35. <laughs> 35. And she said she's going to live to be 120. You know what I'm going to look like by then? <laughs> it's not going to be a pretty picture. I didn't say you're going to live to be 120. <laughs> That's up to you to confess that. It's up to me to confess mine. You better start confessing it if you're going to live that long. But don't keep confessing how bad you're going to look because I'm the one that has to look at you. Doesn't matter what I'm going to look like. I'm wondering if I want to be around for another <laughs> six years with you. My youth is renewed like the eagles. Oh, my youth Jesus. is renewed like the eagles. My youth is renewed like the eagles. My time clock's going backwards. These are all the things God told me. If you want to live a long life, don't you want to live it whole and healed and healthy? If I'm going to be here, I want to be whole and healed and healthy. And so I'm making sure my words line up with God's word so that he has something to watch over that he would like to perform instead of something that we've been saying. If you have your Bibles, let's open it up to the book of Genesis. The Genesis, we're going to take you from Genesis to Revelation today. We want we're going to take you through the whole Bible today. <laughs> I didn't. Genesis, the 32nd chapter, we're going to start in verse 24. I grabbed some things for you. I don't know if you're praying for your family to be saved, but Jesus is coming, and we need to be praying for our family to be saved. And if you have run out of words and prayers to pray, this is 40 days of the Word written out for you to pray for your family to be saved, to put their name right into the Scripture and pray the Word of God in into the heavenlies over your family for salvation. I don't know who needs this one. Who would like this? Would you like to come and get it? Oh, thank you. Thank you, Pastor. And then I grabbed my new book, Women of the Nation Pray, learning how to pray in the court of heaven, learning how to pray legally so that we can shut down the accuser. And my husband's book on identity, The Rise of an Orphan Generation, Longing for a Father. When you understand who the father is, you can understand who you are. Who would like that, that one? Anybody want this one? And then I grabbed I Am Lullabies. This is are. listening to the promises of God while you sleep. It's good for babies, but it's good for adults too. Just learning what God is saying about you while you sleep and what his word is saying. Who would like that one? Thank you, Pastor. And then my last one is the one that I just sang from, Raise a Hallelujah, and I sang from it right Friday there night. There we go. It's go. Yes, Teach Us How to Pray is the opening, and Raise a Hallelujah is next. Right our, here. Our message this morning, if you want to, uh, I see on the back of the, uh, what's going on at the Hope, on the back side of it, your notes. So if you want to write a title up at the top of it, you could just write Identity. It's identity. We're going we're gonna to minister today on, on our identity. And one of the interesting things is, is that, um, it, like, I, 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 I met a gentleman that is in the home health care today, and we started talking, and then the next thing I said is, what do you do? And that's just kind of how men do it. We just say, what do you do? And so you're identified more than by your name. Or but by, by who you are. By, by what you do or who you are in this world. That's just something we do. Men identify each other by what we do. But that is not your identity. From the moment you left heaven, God coded within your DNA his identity inside of you. And the world works your whole life try to steal that identity away from you, try to make you not know who you really are, try to tell you you're a sum of all the broken things you've come through or to try to put an identity on you from your situations and your circumstances. Um, just over the last 20 years, uh, people tried to make us be the grief people because we buried our daughter, but we're not grief people. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We know how to go through, and yes, we do understand what it means to grieve God's way, but we don't want that identity any more than my identity is Miss America. For one year, Miss America became me. Hey, 
I didn't become Miss America. For one year, Miss America became me, and then I keep that title, which is a supernatural God-given title so that I can stand in the gap for America. And that's why I love it when you say, I was Miss America. I still am Miss America. Here's the thing. Once you are, you always are. But the beautiful thing is that gives me a legal right to stand in the gap for this nation. And so there are things that try to become our identity, but we can't take those. God has coded his identity inside of us when he made us. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God said, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make mankind in our image, and let's give them our complete authority on the earth. Let's give it to them. And then he went ahead and made them male and female. He created them. And the next line he says, he approved us. So you may speak your whole life looking for God's approval when he already gave it to you. But things happen in life and people come across your life in situations that they try and steal your identity or ident make you identified by something else. And this in this uh, story, in the 32nd chapter, and we're going to start in verse 24, we're going to talk about a man named Jacob. Jacob had an identity. Jacob had a heritage. Jacob had a lineage. His family um, uh, um, knew the Lord, his family, his mother was, was having two sons and something had transpired by his mother that was going to give him an identity. But if ever a guy should have had a great God identity, this is the grandson of Abraham. So he should have had a God identity set in his being. But have you figured out it doesn't matter what family you're born into, the devil still comes after your identity? No matter what genetic natural code is in you, the devil still comes after your God identity. This guy, the grandson of Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, here we have Jacob still struggling with who am I? Who am I? And sometimes it's, it's even because you're born into a great family that you struggle with your identity. Some people struggle because they're not born into a great family. Well, so the enemy comes after your identity no matter what family you're born into. His mother tried to make his identity by getting him his birthright by, by cheating his brother out of the birthright. So his own mom taught him how to fulfill his name identity because his name had a meaning and then she taught him how to cheat, how to trick, how to deceive. His mom taught him that and honestly, we, I'm sure she didn't realize that's what she was doing. Just like we don't realize we're teaching our children to lie when the phone rings and we say, tell them I'm not here. But what you're doing is telling your kids it's okay to lie if it suits you, if it benefits you. So we have to be so careful that it's easy to look at Jacob's mom and say, what a horrible mom she was. And yet, if we look, examine our own lives, we're just as guilty in the things that we do. So here we'll pick it up in verse 24. So now we pick up where Jacob uh, is, is later in life. And he says, and Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched the hollow of his thigh and Jacob's thigh was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, now all these he's, the man, are capitalized. So I want you to understand when you capitalized a he or, 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 or a name or whatever, not a, like Jacob's name, but the he or the man, you're talking about a deity. So some deity is wrestling with Jacob here. And angels are not deity. No matter what anybody new age tries to tell you, angels are not deity. They are servants of the Most High God sent on the earth to do His pleasure to help us fulfill what God has called us to do. So don't think this is an angel. This is not an angel. Even if it uses in the King James Version, it says an angel of the Lord, but it capitalizes the angel. So this is not an angel of the Lord. That's a mistranslation. This is the part of the Godhead that manifests on the earth. Now we know that the Father himself cannot manifest on the earth, even though he is fully all God, no human, including Moses, could even look at him without being fearful for his life. At one point, God said, I'll hide you in a rock because Moses was begging him. I'll hide you in a rock and I'll cover you with my hand. And maybe if you peek out at my backside, you can live through that. So this is obviously not God. The Father 
It's not the Holy Spirit because you can't touch a spirit. So which one of the Godhead can be touched by humanity? So Jesus shows up here in Genesis chapter 32. So don't think the first time Jesus came to the earth was in Matthew. That's when he was born fully a man. But he was going and coming with mankind from the beginning. So he goes on and he says, The man said, Let me go, for day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until, unless you declare a blessing upon me. And the man asked him, What is your name? And in shock, he whispered, He said, My name is Jacob, schemer, trickster, swindler. And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, the schemer, the trickster, the swindler, but Israel, contender with God, for you have contended and have power with God, and with men, for you have prevailed. And then Jacob replied, he said, tell me, I pray, what is your name? And the man said, why is it that you ask my name? And the angel of God declared a blessing on Jacob there. Jacob thus called that, but that name of that place Peniel, or the face of God, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is spared and not snatched away. Now we could spend a year just on these few verses because so much happened in this mediation, in this beautiful dance that happened between a human that was struggling with his identity and God and the form of Jesus. First of all, when, when he says, I won't let you go until you bless me, and, and Jesus just had told him, turn me loose, it, the day is breaking. And, and, and I think when you read this from the Jewish commentaries, they say, and it makes total sense when you read it, that this is not the first encounter Jacob had had. This is not the first time he had wrestled with God, trying to change his nature. And how many of us have wrestled around with God, trying to change our nature, and yet we go back and own that old person as if that's who we really are. When we've been redeemed from the old man, we've, the old man is supposed to be dead and gone, and yet we go back and say, that's just my flesh, or that's my old man. No, you're, that old man's gone. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, all things are passed away. All things have become new. Here he's wrestling with his old identity, and Jesus says to Jacob, let me go. We've danced this dance over and over and over again, and you've never really changed. We have encounters, but you're never changed. And so Jacob is so sick of himself. How many of you have ever got to that point? Well, you're just so sick of yourself. Jacob says, I won't let you go. I don't care if the day is breaking. I don't care if we've done this wrestling match over and over and over again. I'm not letting you go. And he says, until you bless me. But the word bless in ancient Hebrew means fire on the head. So he said, I won't turn you loose until your fire is on my head that brings a transformation in who I am that changes the way I think so that I don't think like the old person anymore. I think like a new person. And so the situation unfolds and then Jesus touches the hollow of his thigh and it says his thigh was put out of joint. Now, I want you to understand Jesus did not cripple him. He no. marked him. Because now Jacob would, let's say he'd go into a restaurant and the people would say, that's Jacob. We can tell by his face. We, look, we know, don't do business with that guy. Listen, he'll cheat you. And then all of a sudden, he begins to walk with that mark. And they say, it looks like Jacob, but he has a different walk about him. When, when Jesus changed your life, you got a different walk your, about you. Your you presented walk yourself differently. I, I remember, and I just, just had this pop in my head. Years ago, Cheryl and I were ministering and, uh, and, and I remember the night that the transformation came in my life. And I want you to understand, I was saved, but then I got born again, you, which is a, 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 a I, I, my salvation said I believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. But my, my transformation, my born-again experience where my being changed was not one night sitting on the sofa, and I began to speak to the Lord. He began to deal with me, and the next morning I told Cheryl, I believe that we are to form Salem Family Ministries. And all of a sudden, I began to change. My countenance changed. My walk changed. Because the Bible says when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you, you get another heart. 
You become a different man. You, 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 you become a different man. One, one, one weekend we were ministering, and um, after the service, um, Cheryl and I were out in the lobby, and it was a larger church, and I felt someone doing that to me, poking me, poking me in the side, poking me. And I'm like, and, and I look over, and there's a, a woman poking me, and I said, ma'am, may I help you? Because I'm like, I'm the, you know, the Pillsbury Doughboy. I'm like, I know I'm a, I got a little love handle here, but what are you doing, you know? And, and, and she said, um, I listened to your message today. Do you remember me? I said, I don't, I, no, I'm sorry. And she said, I used to work for you. And she said, I had to come down here and see if you were real, because you're not the man I used to work for. And you see, that's what happens is, is you get marked. God marks you. And then people, you have to be careful because people want to remember you from your former. But you have to walk out the present so that they can identify you in the future. The beautiful so, thing is that when you understand what, what Harry's talking about, we have churches in America filled with people just like this. They know who the name of Jesus is. They know who God is. But knowing God, the, the Bible says the demons know who God is. The Bible says demons know the scripture. They know the truth. They just refuse to walk it out. So what we have to do is not be aligned with demons who know who God is and know the scripture, and yet we're never changed. We must be changed. We must, our walk must be changed. I love that about Jacob, that the scripture says his walk was changed. So when you know God, th this is one of those things. People have, have asked me about other famous people, and they would say, I heard they got born again. Do you think they're born again? Here's the thing. When I was Miss America, nobody wondered if I was born again. Everybody knew I was born again because my walk was born again. My talk was born again. My life was born again. I didn't say one thing and have a drink in this hand. I didn't do one thing and act like another. I am born again. I am no longer my person. I belong to Christ. He owns me. My mouth talks like it. My walk shows it. You see, when you are truly born again, people don't wonder if you're saved. They know you They are. know you're Flip, saved. Flipping your Bibles to the book of Daniel. Daniel, the um, third chapter. Daniel, the third chapter. And we're going to go to verse uh, 16. We're going to talk about the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, you all know the story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were f thrown into the fiery furnace because they had made a stand against the decree in the land that, that Nebuchadnezzar had made. He said, listen, you're either going to bow or you're going to burn. And, and here where we pick it up, it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, verse 16, said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, it's not necessary for, you to, for us to answer you on that point. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fire furnace, he'll deliver us out of your hands. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image in which you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar became full of fury. His facial expression was changed to antagonism against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, he got so mad, his face was contorting. He was just livid. And so he says, he told them to put the furnace and that heat it seven times hotter than it was usually heated. So he says, I'm going to teach these boys a lesson. Let's, I mean, make no mistake, we're going to heat this thing up and we're going to destroy them. And he commanded the strongest men in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them in the burning fiery furnace. So he said, you get me the biggest guys out there and let's, let's not take any chances. Tie them up and we're going to throw them in this furnace. I'm going to destroy them. I'm so mad at them. Then these three men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their undergarments, their turbans, and their other clothing, and they were cast in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace was exceedingly hot, the flame and the sparks from the fire killed those men who handled Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They just got close to the, the, the mouth of the fire and they were consumed. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the burning fiery furnace. Something's happening because the three got close to threw them in, but he's now, in, they're three are in the, in the fiery furnace, and now they're kneeling down in the fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar saw these three men. And he said to the, he was astounded and he jumped in. And he said to his counselors, did we not cast three men tied up or bound in the midst of the furnace? And they said, yes, we did, king. He answered, behold, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. Now they're walking in the fire. 
Now, I want you to understand something else. Nebuchadnezzar says he got to the mouth of the fiery furnace and he and looked, looked in. in. Why wasn't he burned up like the men that threw him in? You ever think about that? Now, I want you to understand Nebuchadnezzar didn't have a heart change, but he's having a head change because he's seeing something. And the story is bigger than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's bigger than Nebuchadnezzar, and we're going to read about it a little bit later. Now, before you go on, I want to point out the fact that with Jacob, he said, I won't let you go until you put fire on my head, until you so bless me that your fire burns out me and only leaves you. Here in this story, and, and, and Jacob's identity was affected by his family and by what people said about him. So if you're not careful, you'll let your God identity, your God identity be affected by either the family you're raised in or born to your natural genetic code or what people say about you but in this case these boys they didn't ask for the fire of God but they were thrown into it by situations so you may not have been asking for God's fire to be in your life but you may have been thrown into it by some situation that's going on in your life that begins to try to affect your identity but one of the reasons this is my favorite story about identity is because before they went into the fire they began to speak they spoke the most powerful statement. First, they said, our God is able. In Hebrew, that's the word Y-A-H-U, Yahoo. <laughs> Yahoo, God is able. When they said God is able, they looked right into the king's face and said, Yahoo. Our God is able. He's going to deliver us. But then they go on and make another statement that's even bigger than faith. It's a statement of trust. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to change who we are. We're not going to change what we believe, and we're not going to change our confession. You throw us in the fire, it's not going to change a thing. This is who we are. Our God is able. Yahoo! And he says the form of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Now, he's starting to see something, but he doesn't know what he's seeing. So the only way he could identify it is what he knew in his life. It looks like one of the gods. And Nebuchadnezzar, as I said, came close to the mouth of burning fire furnace. And he said, you servants of the most high God. Now, imagine that. He's, he's trying to get them to accept his gods. And now he says, I see something. I can't identify it. But now he says, you servants of the most high God. He's seeing something he's never seen before. He said, you come out and you come here. Thus Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the midst of the furnace. The satraps, the deputies, the governors, and all the king's counselors gathered around together. And they saw these men that the fire had no power upon their heads, their bodies, nor was a hair on their heads singed. Neither were their garments scorched or changed in color or condition, nor had even the smell of smoke came upon them. And Nebuchadnezzar, ble now he's blessing them. Can you imagine that? He was so mad, his face. He was furious, filled with rage. Get the biggest guys. Heat the fire up. Now he's. Bind them up. Something's happening. He says, bless them. <laughs> when you stand in the midst of adversaries and you declare who your God is, people will see that in you. And now they're seeing, he's seeing this in them. And he says, blessed be the, not just Shadrach, he said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angels and delivered his servants, who believed in, trusted in. Oh, there's another level after believing. There's trust. You believe, then you trust, and now it says you rely. Cheryl and I believed that our daughter would be healed. She wasn't healed on this side. She got healed on the other side of eternity. So we trusted. And so afterwards, now we have to rely on him. What do we rely on? That his word is true, and there will be a and day that we will point. be reunited with our family member because Gabrielle is no longer in our past, but she's in our future. Because we have eternal vision. That's the vision that God gave us. So therefore, I, now he's making a decree. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the gods of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut into pieces or house made a dunghill, for there is no other god who can deliver in this way. I mean, this guy is really changing. I mean, this king, he is, 
his mouth does not reflect the Hebrew children. His mouth does not reflect Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Daniel. His mouth does not reflect it. But this guy's the king. He has a right to change the law. So there is God working within these boys, these young men, as they stand and they declare who they are. Now they're affecting the nation because they won't bow and they won't give in. The king's not changed, but he changes the law because they don't bow. There is something powerful about you not bowing. When you won't bow to the culture laws, you won't bow to the demonic culture that is being inundated into our society and our lives. When you say, that is not who I am. My God is greater than this. I don't have to adapt to culture. I adapt to the Spirit of God. Thus the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Now I want you to understand something. Uh, he, he did all these things because of what they did That's and what right. they believed, and thus he watched it, he, and people are watching you. But I want you to understand, later on, Nebuchadnezzar's found out in the field, he's lost his mind, and he's eating grass. He didn't have a heart change, but he had a head change of what he saw. So people might not have a heart change, but they can't deny the fact of what you see. That's why people you, cannot deny the fact that God operates in your life. That's why it's important that you don't think, I'm just one person, I can't make a difference. One person can make a difference. One person standing, one person not bowing to the ways of the world. One person saying, my God is a good God. My God is a great God. Our, our land is filled with the mercy and the grace of God. The one person that decides, I'm not going to sound like everybody else. I'm not going to look like everybody else. I'm not going to talk like everybody else. I'm going to talk like God. And you think, I can't make a difference. You're making a difference already. You're making a difference. I'm making a difference. Forty years I've been making a difference, and I've only just started. Now, we just got two more stories, and I don't know if we have time to do this one. Do you want to do, just look to John? Yeah, let's, let's do Numbers. You do Numbers? Okay, flip in your Bible to Numbers. We'll numbers, the uh, 13th chapter. And the, the crux of the story is Moses had a decree from the Lord. He said, I want you to go into the promised land. And he said, I want you to take all the leaders that you can from the tribes with you. So Moses, by God's commandment, goes in. In verse 17, he went in to scout out the land of Canaan. And he got up to the south and went into the hill country. And it was, he was told, see what the land is and whether the people who dwell there are strong or weak or few or many. And whether the land that they live in is good or bad or whether the cities they dwell in are camps or strongholds. He said, just, just take a look around. Tell me what do you see. Are there cities? Are there camps? Are there tents? Are, there, are, are, are the people weak? Are they strong? And then he goes on, he says, and what the land is, whether it is fat or lean. Is there vegetation? Is anything growing there? And be of good courage. Now, wait a minute. He's... Stop telling them to take a look around. He, asked, he was asking for a report, and now he's giving them what they need to go in and give a report. You're going to need courage to give a God kind of report. Because I'm going to ask you to bring some of the fruit of the land out. And he said, but this is the time of the first ripe grape. I'm not sending you in to fail. I'm sending you in when it's harvest time. And the Bible says in Luke, he says that the harvest is ripe, but the hands are few. So therefore, ask the God of the harvest, the Lord of the harvest, to bring forth harvest laborers. hands, laborers. So he's saying, you be these laborers. He says, now he goes up into the, into the hill country, and he came to the valley of Eshal, and they cut down from there a branch with a cluster of grapes. They carried it on a pole between the two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. They named that place the Valley of Eshal, or Cluster, because of the clusters that the Israelites had cut down from there. You notice Jacob said, this, this, I marked this place Peniel because I had a face-to-face -face encounter. Now they're calling this the Valley of Eshal because of the harvest that we have brought forth because of the word of God. And, and the grapes that they're representing here is blessing. So once again... He said, I won't turn you loose until you bless me. Now they're thrown into the fire, seven times hotter fire. That's the fire of God. When it's seven times hotter, Nebuchadnezzar actually made it a God fire. So you may them. go into issues and situations that looks terminal, that look horrible, that look 
things that you can't imagine. But if you allow God, he will get in the middle of it. And what was sent to destroy you will be the very thing that promotes you. What was sent to take you out will be the very thing that gives you a platform that you'll build the rest of your life on. Don't allow the enemy to try to steal, kill, and destroy. When Jesus said, I have come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. So no matter what's coming at you, let God turn it to his kind of fire and he'll promote you in the middle of it. And they came to Moses and they showed him. And they said, surely this place flows with milk and honey and here's the fruit. But they began to give this uh, narration. But the people there are stronger and the cities are fortified. And therefore, moreover, we saw the sons of Anak of great stature. They saw the giants and courage. Amalek dwells in the, the south, the Negev, the Hittite, the Jebusite, the Amorite dwell in the hill country, the Canaanite dwells along the sea. And Caleb says, hush. Don't talk like that. Shut he says, stop, stop talking like that. He said, let's go up and let's possess the promise. And I love how he said, let's go up at once. In other words, stop talking about it. Just obey God. But he said, go in, let's just go obey God. Why are we talking about it? But the rest of them said, we are not able to go up against these people, for they're stronger than we are. The, the commandment of the Lord didn't say, are they stronger than you are? He said, are they strong or weak? Right there is when they began to fail. They began to take their own identity and compare it to somebody else. God didn't ask you to compare yourself to anybody else. He created you in his image, in his likeness. And therefore, when you look in the mirror, you should see a mirror reflection of God. There, there are always going to be giants. That's, that's the problem. When people think, I'm born again, I shouldn't be having any trouble. Jesus said in John, in this world you will have trouble, trial, frustration, and distress, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. This is the problem. We compare the giants in our life to ourselves when we should be comparing the giants in our life to our God. Had the comparison been the proper one, they'd have said, well, they may be giants, and hey, they may be bigger than us, but look at them in comparison to God. They ain't nothing at all. And so when you compare things to God instead of comparing them to you, you're always going to come out victorious. Now, I'm still trying to figure this out, but when the door knocks and the devil's on the other side, I'm dumb enough to open the door instead of turn away and say, Jesus, it's for you. You know, I mean, that, I, I, and I'm working that through my life. That's and right. just to turn it over to him That's because right. he's bigger than anything that comes against me. My little 87-year-old mama, she makes me laugh. She just, I love it. She says, here's the thing. When they try to tell me that this sickness is coming or I feel this symptom or that, she said, I go, I don't take nothing don't belong to me. I don't that don't belong to me and I'm not taking it and that's what we've got to understand these things are going to come at you but you don't have to take what doesn't belong to you so they brought the Israelites an evil report of the land which was the blessing which Wait. they went to scout out don't don't hurry through that they brought an evil report of the land in the very first verse God says, I'm giving you this land. It's my promise to you. So when they brought an evil report of the land, they were actually talking evil about God's promise. And he said, this land devours its inhabitants. Now in the story, it said they stayed in the land for 40 days and 40 nights. Who got devoured? And if you're in some place, you're staying at someone's house for 40 days and 40 nights, guess what? You got to sleep somewhere. You got to eat somewhere. You got to drink somewhere. And now they took out the blessing, which was the pomegranates, the figs, and, and the, the grapes. grapes. Now, some people would say, wait a minute, they, they hid that under their, their, their garments when they walked out. The you grapes were it. so big that they had to carry them on a pole between the two of them. So the pomegranate was the size of a boulder. And up to that it took point. 42 of them to move it. Uh, uh, it'd be like somebody coming in your house and carrying out your big screen TV. And you let them do it. The giants let they them do let it. They let them do it. But here's where the failure comes in. He said, and all the people we saw there are men of great stature. There we saw Nephilim or the giants, the sons of Anak who come from the giants. And thus we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. So therefore we were in their sight. Broken identity. They did not see themselves as gods. 
They did not see themselves belonging to God. They did not see themselves as the God people we are. You have to understand, you may not have the pedigree. You may not have the degree. You may not even have the experience. But when you walk into a job and 52 other have applied to the same job, you walk in with God inside of you, not just with you. Jesus said, he's been with you, but soon he'll be in you. You walk into that job with God inside of you and that brings a promotion people can't help it they may not even like you but they gotta hire you because you have God inside of you and who doesn't want God in their business so you have an authority the last thing we're going to give you turn your Bibles to the second chapter of John and this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible it, it, it reminds me of my wife it says and on the third day there was a wedding at Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there Jesus also was invited with his disciples to the wedding. And when the wine was all gone, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no more wine. Jesus says to her, woman? My son's six foot two and he's never called his mom a woman. Woman? What is that to you and me? My hour, my time, uh, what have we in common? Leave it to me, my hour has not come yet. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now, I want you to understand a couple of things here. If we were your guest speakers today, but Jesus walked in the building, who would you introduce? Jesus. I mean, if I'm at the wedding and Jesus is there, he's, I, no offense to the bride, but he's going to take center stage. But the introduction said, the mother of Jesus first. Now, it didn't say Mary, did it? In the Bible, Mary's only mentioned a handful of times. Mary was her name. But her identity was the mother of Jesus. Because she had other children. But her identity was the mother of Jesus. And so, when the wedding comes, it's important that she's identified by who she is and who she is. And when the wine went away, she said to her son, they're out of wine. Jesus says, and my Bible says, dear woman, he was never rude to his mama. Woman, what's that got to do with me? Something transformed right there. She came in as the mother but if you remember way back when she was 14 or 15, the angel appeared to her and said, you're going to have a son. He will be great. He'll be a healer, a deliverer, a savior. And she says, how can this be? The angel said, the Holy Spirit's going to fall on you. And you're going to have Jesus inside of you. The next thing she said is, okay, be it unto me, or I receive Jesus into my life. But then she went on a journey to Elizabeth's house where she was going to get encouraged by an old lady who had conceived a child because it was a miracle. And she wanted to be around someone else who would encourage her and not discourage her. But later on, you read the story, and it says, and then the angels finished talking to her and it said mary pondered all these things in her heart because the angel said there'll be a day when only you will know the mother that it's his day step into his miracle ministry and so she comes as the mother but there's a transition here the mother of jesus said we're out of wine Jesus says, woman of God, you have now transitioned from being my mother to the woman of God that he chose for such a time as this. See, we all transform into something else. She started as his mama, but it had to be a woman of God. Why? Because no mama in her right mind, knowing the crucifixion was coming, would do that. 
because she'd protect her son. But the woman of God said, I no longer need a son, I need a savior. And he walked into his miracle ministry and the first thing he did was change the water into wine, which the pots represented humanity. And he said, bring me the dirty pots. Don't clean them up. And he said, I'll clean them up and I'll transition them from the dirty into the wine. The last one I'm going to give you is we're going to take all the way back to the book of Revelation, the 22nd chapter, verse 11. And it reads, He who is unrighteous, unjust, or wicked, let him be unrighteous still. And he who is filthy, vile, or impure, like that wine, like that water, let him be filthy still. But the just, the upright, and right standing with God, let him do right still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. What that whole scripture is about is how you are identified here is how you be identified there. You don't get changed halfway up. There's not a place that you go and you wait till you get a transformation. The transformation has to come here. Mary's transformation came here. Jesus' transformation came here. As he transformed from a man and he ascended to heaven and he became our savior. I, I was so glad to see the officer up here today. I had, a, I had an encounter a year ago and I want you to get this in your spirit, how important you are to the Lord and how important your walk is with the Lord, how important your witness is to the Lord. My wife and I were in a hotel and um, we were getting ready to get on the elevator. It was about eight or nine at night and we were waiting and there was another two men waiting to the right. The elevator came down and as I looked over, there was a, one of the men was talking and when he turned towards me, I saw around his neck a Medal of Honor. I don't know if you've ever seen a Medal of Honor or been in the presence of a Medal of Honor. It's powerful, isn't it? It's one of the most beautiful, um, I don't even want to call it jewelry, it symbols. It, it, the, the colors, the way, it, I, it's, it's, it's magnificent, but it's more magnificent not for the way it looks, but for what it represents. And I saw that and I'd never been in the presence of one and the first thing I wanted to do was reach over and touch it. And the Lord said, you didn't earn it, you can't touch it. So, and the elevator door opened up, people came off and Cheryl went to get on the elevator. I put my hand out and I said, wait a minute. And she's like, you always treat me as a lady and what? And, I, and she saw that Medal of Honor and she stopped. And the gentleman nodded to us and he got on the elevator and we got on the elevator and he turned to us, he said, thank you very much. And Cheryl turned to him and said, no, thank you very much. Thank you for your service. Thank you for what you've done. And he, he was so, I don't know how old he was, but he was so cute. He just kind of went like this. He went, ah, yeah, ah. And, and I couldn't make out what he said. I, I, all I did was save 50 people's lives 70 years ago or 70 people's lives 50 years ago. I, I was just, you know, I, I, and he just, ah, like it was nothing. And I said, thank you. And I would have loved to have heard his story, but before I could say that, he said, what are you all doing down here? And I said, well, tomorrow morning, my wife and I are ministers, will be preaching in a church uh, at 10 o'clock in the morning. And he looked at me and he said to me, he said, thank you for what you do. He said, what I did was years ago. He said, but tomorrow you get to save lives. I've saved them in the past, but tomorrow you have opportunity to save, thank you. The door opened up and he kind of got off the elevator and he looked over his shoulder at me and he kind of winked and then went on. When I got to the, our room, I sat down with Cheryl, I said, you, you know how powerful that was? That man who laid his life down, value what we do so much, he thanked us. Do you know how much the Lord who laid his life down values you for what you do every day? Is your witness, this is not heaven. It's not easy, but you're doing it. 
and you have countless lives in front of you. Unknown. Keeps us going. Should keep you going. Because our reward's not here. Our identity's not here. Our identity will be in heaven when he says, well done, my good and faithful servants. Join hands with somebody today as we close. Thank you, Father, for each and every person here. I thank you, Father, for your restoring, loving grace that you have upon us. We are saved by grace, but we walk by faith. And today, Father, as those of us who are in this church, we ask you to let us know who you are. And if you don't know who he is in your life, we've introduced you from Genesis to the book of Revelation. It says, in the beginning, God, God created us. In the middle of the book, we have problems. But at the end, we have an opportunity to say, yes, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And to be able to say, yes, come quickly, Lord Jesus, you must be assured and guaranteed of your walk with the Lord. Are you born again? If you've never received Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, today's your day. Or if you have and you've had encounters like Jacob did, or the three Hebrew children did, and you've gotten where you're wavering on your faith, and you've walked away from God, today's your day to come back home. If you want me to pray for you in the next 30 seconds to either receive him for the first time or to come back home and rededicate your life, squeeze the hand of the person you're holding right now. Because if you notice in all these stories, there was more than one person. He said, I need a face-to-face -face encounter with God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a face-to-face -face encounter with God. Mary had a face-to-face -face encounter with God. I'm asking for you to have that face-to-face -face encounter with God right now. Squeeze someone's hand. With no one looking around, no one walking around, if you squeeze someone's hand, hold on to that person's hand. If they squeezed your hand and do me one favor, hold on to that hand and slip it in the air where I can see it. And it's not for me to see, it's for the Lord to see. Thank you for your hands up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, if you thought I was going to embarrass you, I'm not going to embarrass you. But if you want to slip your hand up in the next five seconds, slip it up right now. Reach up to God because I believe he's reaching down to you. In four, three, yes, two, yes, one, yes, yes. Now you may slip them down. And I'm going to ask everybody in this house to make that declaration just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. We may burn, but we won't bow because we know who our God is. Some people call it the prayer of salvation. Some people call it the prayer of dedication. I just say it's your declaration to God of who you are and know that he created you for greatness. Let's pray this prayer, everybody out loud if you would. Heavenly Father, today we declare that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin walked this earth as a man, was crucified, dead and buried, but he lives in heaven. And because of my decree today, I can receive that same eternal life by saying, Lord, forgive me. And the moment you said that, he said, I forgive you, and now I've forgotten your past. And now he tells you that you have a future in heaven with Christ Jesus. And I believe he'll promote you. And we seal it with, amen.